Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? These are the words of Christ. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts. What a magnificent verse. From the perspective of one who created us, died for us, loves us. Help us to understand who we are and our relationship with you a little better today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Today, my message is entitled, Chosen, the Value of a Life. The Value of a Life. By the way, next Sunday, I'm going to begin a new series based on the season or season three of the Chosen series. I've been graciously been provided all eight episodes at this point, and I will be sharing with you some of the more powerful scenes, and it's going to be difficult because there are so many great, strongly biblical scenes this season. It's, uh, it's going to be tough to, uh, to work through those. There are so many I want to share, and maybe later on I'll share some more, but um, uh, join with me next Sunday. On that note, if you know somebody who does not go to church a lot, visuals, especially really good visuals like The Chosen, help them a lot. They may not know Scripture. You may know Scripture really well, but they may not know Scripture. And being able to see it visually is powerful. Really, is nothing quite like it. And so if you know anybody, and you do, who doesn't go to church a lot or is not a believer in Christ, I challenge you to bring them for this series. If they come the first Sunday, I promise you they're going to want to come back and see the rest of the series. It is an opportunity for us as a church to grow the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to brag just a moment. It's not my notes, but I'm good at bragging, you know. <laughs> but I'm going to brag in the Lord. I've told people all week, I, I'm always excited. Last Sunday for a regular Sunday morning, we had the largest crowd in the history of our church. And uh, so 480, 478, 476 is what we had. Yeah. So we had 476, but preacher math, that's about 820. So... Um, Anyway, I'm so thankful for the fact that you're here and for the fact that God has continued to bless our church in a world where so many people don't want to go to church anymore. But I believe he's moving in Hazel, and we want to be a part of that. Um, uh, so uh, uh, as I watched the season progress, as I watched The Chosen this year, I realized, and if you watched this season, season three in particular, but all of the seasons, you realize how much the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, tell us about identity. The two biggest questions in life unfold. Who is Christ and who are we in light of who he is? Those are really the biggest questions in life. Who is Christ and who are we in light of who he is? That is, what is the true identity of Jesus and what is our identity in him? Now, don't get lost in the doctrine here. It's very clear and actually very simple. 
And I, I believe that the Bible presents it in a very clear and simple way. We may confuse it, but it's presented in a beautiful, simple way. So today is a bit of a lead-in to what is to come in the next eight or ten weeks for the Chosen series. Just a few days ago, at the age of 20, my young niece died. Uh, Friday, I believe. Um, she grew up in church, and I'm confident of her love in the Lord and that she is in God's hands today. Be praying for the family. This is Cherry's brother's daughter. She leaves behind three brothers and sisters, and her parents and her family are, are understandably uh, devastated. But I fear that because she died at such a young age, she may not have fully understood, as I think most of us don't at that age, just how beautiful she was to her Savior. She was and is certainly loved by her Savior and her family, but be praying for them. Losing a child or sibling is about as rough as life gets. On that note, though, I found myself in conversations with family members, Floor and Earl in particular, and my wife. And the conversations all tended to go down the same road or a similar road and probably conversations that you've had if you've lost loved ones as well. And the conversations went something like, if only I could talk to her one more time. Do you not all wish you could talk to your loved one one last time before they died? How many times in life, it's a surprise, and this was certainly very sudden, that we could all, if, if we just could, have one more conversation. So after I learned of her death, I changed my message for today because I want every one of you to know, whether young or old or in between, how much you are loved and valued by your God. Now, I trust in the beloved Christ that she is in heaven today. But I want you to be thinking, because you're here, I can have one more conversation with you today, and I want to have it. Let me begin by saying that this is not intended as a self-help sermon or a message that is designed to puff you up or exaggerate your importance. Nor am I here to belittle you or knock, knock you down a notch. My purpose is to clarify who and what God says you are and to understand your value in, in his eyes because I, I think that we struggle really wrapping our head around that. You are valued by God. Before we get there, I'm aware the popular sentiment in our culture is that if you don't like the reality of who you are, that is what you see in the mirror, and our world is very physical. If you don't like who you are, just change it. And by the way, this issue has nothing to do with my niece. It doesn't apply to her, but I do see this a lot in our world. Um... Our culture says reality is malleable. It is flexible, or in many cases, it's completely irrelevant. They claim your own perception is far more important than reality. And frankly, your perception is more important and more powerful than reality. You hold the key, and you alone have the authority to define who and what you are. Not science, not even God, only you. Of course, that's a big lie. And that lie will end up being bankrupt for you in your life. 
If you don't like the fact that you are a single individual in our culture, just change the pronouns to us and we or them. And now, magically, you've become more. If you don't like your gender, just change that too. And while you're at it, you can be multiple genders or no genders at all. That is, you have the power to alter reality, to alter science and the physical laws of the universe, and even common sense. Now, let me tell you, I wouldn't care if people wanted to be called them, as strange as that be, is to me, or if they want to be called she or him or whatever, whatever their flavor is, I wouldn't care except that it isn't true. In fact, you are so much more than that. One of the many problems with that thinking is looking for identity in what you are rather than who you are. So just take some medication, have a few surgeries, and that will make it all better, but it won't. Every study out there indicates that that won't help you in your life. It won't make your life more complete or more happy. Now I know for me to even mention that is shocking to some. This culture has bamboozled the world into believing that any disagreement with that kind of thinking is hate speech. It's shameful, cruel, it's terrible bigotry. But it's just not true. In fear of being canceled, it has even managed to silence many who simply know better. Scientists, doctors, psychiatrists, they all know. But most won't dare speak against the cancel culture of our day. But against that stands the word of God that declares the actual truth of who you are as described by the one who made you. And you want to know something? Truly spectacular. The biblical truth of who you are is far more amazing, shocking, and beautiful than anything this world can make up. Today, if you truly understand who you are, right now, in God's eyes, the everlasting, beautiful soul that he has instilled in you, as he has sculpted your identity in his own image. Against that, worrying about your gender or personal pronouns is an insignificant waste of time. You are made beautifully in the image of God. That identification that your personal pronouns or your gender comparatively is tiny, short-sighted, and insufficient to describe God's beautiful workmanship in you. Do you know who you are? Well, I'm going to give you just a few descriptions from God's word this morning about who you are. Not how you can be or you hope to be. You don't have to pay any money or have any surgeries. I'm telling you, this is who you are right now, right here today. You don't have to do anything. Don't have to sign up for anything, pay for anything. Right now, right now, the status quo, this is who you are, whether you know it or not. First of all, and this is right out of the Bible, you are wonderful. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's not all I'm saying. I'm telling you that according to God and his word, you are wonderful. Psalm 139 verse 14 says it. 
twice. The psalmist says to God, I praise you because I am fearfully, and here's the word, wonderfully made. Your works are, and here's the, talking about his own creation, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You say, Pastor, I'm not wonderful. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Nobody else may think you're wonderful. But God thinks you're wonderful, and God's opinion is an opinion. God's opinion is fact. And if he says you're wonderful, and he does, then you are. You're wonderful. I don't care how you look, how smart you are, how good you smell, or bad you smell, how rich or poor. I don't care where you're from, what your nationality, your skin color. Listen to me. God says you're wonderful, so you're wonderful. Never doubt that. Oh, if I could tell my niece that. You may say others make fun of me or I am an outcast or I'm made fun by others. And you're wrong and they're wrong. If you think or they think that you're anything less than wonderful. You are what God says you are, period. And he says you're wonderful. So you're wonderful because you are his workmanship. Again, people have the false belief that wonderful is mostly a physical thing. It isn't. It never was. What makes you, what makes you, you, isn't your body. It's your creator. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and I won't turn there, but this is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something that is shocking to you. He says, you are the light of the world. I can guarantee you nobody had ever heard that before. Now, I understand the theology, and as pastors, we often say this, we reflect the glory of God. And so we're bright, we're light, because we reflect the glory of God. That's bad doctrine. (laughs) It's just bad doctrine. We often describe us as the moon, you know, and Jesus as the sun, and we reflect Jesus. We don't reflect Jesus. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus is within us. The spirit of the living God is in us when we come to faith in Christ. And Christ literally emanates out of us. Doesn't just reflect on us. God emanates out of us. That's what the spirit of the living God does. That doesn't make us gods, but it does mean that when we say that we ask Christ into our heart, literally we are inviting Christ into our very spirit. Something happens in our spirit and we light up with the presence of God. That's powerful. That's amazing. And again, there's no qualifier. You're not too young or too old. Rich or poor, whatever. As I said a while ago, you qualify because God made you and he designed you in his image and he desires for you to be the light of the world. Jesus said that. You are the light of the world. Now, there are some expectations because we are the light of the world and he shares that in the Sermon on the Mount, but he says you're the light of the world. He did not say the better looking you are, the stronger you are, the more healthy you are, or the younger you are, then the brighter you are. That's our world talking. That's not what Jesus said. Nope. That's just a lie from the world. 
Christ himself is the light in you and he can burn just as bright in you as he can anybody else. In college, I was a skinny, awkward, introverted kid with a big nose, bright red hair, and a poor self-image. That often happens when you have a big nose and bright red hair. <laughs> By the way, as a youth, and I've said this before probably, the ladies loved my red hair, but they were all over 70. <laughs> but when I was in college, there was this kid in my class who, to my shock, was even skinnier than I was. And that's hard to imagine. His nose was bigger than mine, and it was crooked. He had terrible acne. And how can I say this? He was just downright ugly. But he was literally the most popular kid in my class. The girls lined up to date him. It made me so mad. I was confused. How could he be like that? How, how could he be liked that much and that popular? The truth is, he was one of the more mature Christians I had ever met. He knew who he was. It wasn't that he was that amazing of a person. He simply knew his identity in Christ. He knew who he was and that he was wonderfully made and that he was called to be the light of the world to reflect and to beam with his Savior from within. So he did. Every time he walked into the room, he lit up the place. Whatever the room was, we all liked being around him. He was kind of the life of the party. You never, never did I ever hear him complaining about his big crooked nose or his complexion. He just barreled ahead like he didn't even notice. <laughs> and so other people got to where they didn't notice either. So I don't care who you are today, how you look, or what your shape is, or how thick or thin your hairline is, or how spotted your skin is with acne. You are made by God, and he says you're wonderful. Amen. Secondly, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And that may not sound trite. I don't mean it that way. It may sound just something preachy to say. But I want you to listen to me for just a minute, because this is powerful. Again, the world doesn't get this part. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, and this is a little later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, brings us to our passage for today. Listen to what he says. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a beautiful prayer. It's what we call the model prayer. And I didn't read the whole, uh, whole prayer. But I, I often preach on this. Every preacher does. And it is so beautiful and valuable and important concerning how to pray. But in the midst of that description, I think we miss something here. And it's really the other thing that I want to talk about this morning. And I highlight it for you there. Did you see? Time again, four times, he uses the word Father. 
And note this, Jesus does not say, my Father who is in heaven. He could have said that. He didn't say that. What does he say? He says, our Father. And every time he talks about God the Father, he talks about God the Father as our Father. Listen to what he says in the second line. Then your Father, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God is your father. The word father is used 283 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. And the majority of those times, it's a reference to our Heavenly Father. Our identity with our Creator is a reference to a child and a father. God is not just Creator, He is Father to us. Do you know what that means? To your identity. And how important it is. Don't try to erase the fact that God is our Father. Celebrate it. Embrace it. Prince Charles is now King Charles. His mother, Queen Elizabeth, died last September. I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but Charles was never a particularly good-looking guy. By the world's standards. I mean, I identified with him because he was skinny and had a big nose. But he was no Brad Pitt. But you know, he didn't have to be. Why? Because his mom was the Queen of England. That's why. <laughs> it wasn't who he was, but it was whose he was that defined him and still does today. So he got to marry Princess Diana. When they got married, if you remember that far back, she was literally one of the, if not the prettiest, blonde, beautiful woman in all of England. Normally, a guy like Charles would never have been able to go on a date with Princess Diana, but he did get to go on a date because his mom was a queen. And frankly, every woman in the kingdom would have lined up to be his wife because, not because of him, but because of his mom. Because they saw him and identified him through his mother, the queen. And everybody wants to be the princess. Well, you are beautiful and wonderful, not because of merely who you are, but because of whose you are. You are a child of your heavenly father. You are a child of the creator. Don't ever forget that. The one who made the universe loves you and identifies himself as your father. I find it interesting that Jesus said that because the one person who's really qualified to describe God the Father in that way is God the Son. And again, not only did he identify himself that way, but he identified you in that way. Speaking of England, here's the bad doctrine of the week. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Get ready to get mad. This is a Fox News article that was on other news stations as well uh, about the Church of England. The Church of England, which is their national religion. Show that slide if you would. It says, the Church of England to consider gender-neutral gender God. And this is the synod, it says, which is the leaders of the Church of England, may suggest that priests stop using the male pronouns, he and him, when referring to God. And listen to this part, and drop the famous phrase, our Father, from the start of the Lord's Prayer that I just read to you. 
Now, this is not just degendering God. This is blatantly changing what Jesus said about God the Father. Jesus says he's our Father, so he's our Father. And by the way, had Jesus said he was our Heavenly Mother, I'd support that. But he didn't say that. If Jesus referred to God the Father as an it, not a he or a she, I'd support that. But he didn't say that. Jesus said, our Father, that's what the Bible says, and what audacity, what arrogance that we think that we can change God. Amen. Just because it's not politically correct anymore. Wow. Okay, all right. A little rant there. <laughs> Jesus uh, is our Savior. God is our Father. Lastly, you are chosen. Now, I love that term chosen. I'll get to that in just a moment. But look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. You don't get that just from a video series. They got it from somewhere, and here it is. This is Peter speaking, the fisherman, now wise old uh, apostle. He says to you and me, but you are a chosen people. Now, how are we a chosen people? How do you win the lottery? Well, your name gets picked. Well, your name got picked by God. He did the choosing. You didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. We didn't qualify because we bought the most tickets. We didn't qualify because we were the best looking or the smartest or the handsomest or anything else. God did this. We had no idea what was going on. We hadn't even been made yet. And God already chose us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I love that. You are chosen. So I love watching The Chosen. It encourages me and it inspires me. But as I watch season three, wonderful season, uh, but truthfully, it's all three seasons. You could say this about, it is a reminder, because they use the term chosen. Jesus, in the series, in the first couple of seasons, spent most of those seasons choosing his disciples or announcing to his disciples they were the ones that he chose. And so they call it the chosen. But it is also a reminder to us that before we picked God, God picked us. I don't know why he did that, but he did. I think it has something to do with his love and his mercy, but he did. But like the disciples, Jesus has given us the ultimate opportunity, the privilege of following him and becoming children of God. And I want you to think of it today as that. It is not automatic, even though he may have chosen you. It's still not automatic. You have to respond. He went to all the disciples, and we see this in the Gospels as well as the first two seasons of The Chosen. He went to all the disciples, and he called them, and they responded. So God's not going to force you to follow him. He's not going to force you to be his child. You want to be a child of your anger or your lust or your greed or a child of the devil, just watch the Grammys and be happy. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. You have to accept God's choosing in your life. 
They have to do that. Um, I want to share with you, this is my last passage, but it's important. The saddest passage in the entire Bible. Now, there's some low moments in the Bible, are there not? There certainly are. If you think the saddest moment in the Bible, maybe when the, the nails pierced the hands and the feet of Jesus, or he cried out his last breath. No. Maybe you think about when Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas. That's a sad moment. But that's not it either. In, in my opinion. I think it's this passage because Jesus offered to make a 13th disciple. Did you know that? There could have been 13. And then when Judas did his thing, there would have been 12. They ended up electing someone else, Matthias, after that. But he could have already had, and Jesus already had offered to give the position to somebody else. Look with me in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, that sentence in and of itself is just spectacular. It doesn't say that Jesus looked at him and knew his heart and was disappointed, or Jesus looked at him and wanted to test him. I, 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 I still can't wrap my head around this. In response, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't even know what that looked like. You know, as the writer is writing this, how did he know that? How, it must have been in the inflection of his voice or in the expression in his face or the look in his eyes. But Jesus' response to this, this rich young ruler was to think, oh, you're so close. And he cared about him on a personal level. He loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now listen to this. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness, he blew it. If you were there, would you not have said yes? Well, you are there. Because just as he called that man, he is calling you. Just as he chose that man, he has chosen you. Why do you think you came here today? Why do you think you're watching online? You think that's a coincidence? God has chosen you. He loves you. And he's chosen you. But you have to say yes. You have to come up to a moment in your life where you accept the fact that you need a Savior just as this man did. And that Savior is your Lord. That is, He's more important than anything you have. And this is where the guy messed up. 
Because all of his life, the world had told him he's important because he got money. He had power. He had authority or what he thought was power. Everybody looked up to him. That's the guy. He dressed real nice. He'd done well in life, made good decisions in life, had a lot of money. And everybody longed to be him. It was the most important characteristic in his identity because he didn't realize his identity was to be found in Christ in him alone. And so instead of seeing this great treasure in Jesus and this great offer, his choosing to follow, he went away sad. He chose his money. I have a picture for our title today, and if you'll notice, there is a potter sculpting clay um, because in the Bible, God is described as the potter. You and I are the clay. God makes masterpieces, and he made you. God makes beautiful things, and he made you. And again, if you're sitting there, and it's so hard for us not to think physically, well, I'm, some are more beautiful than me because they're taller, or they're, you know, their skin is clearer, or whatever. That's all just worldly stuff. You are created as an everlasting being. In fact, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. He designed you and I to be everlasting, eternal. Wow. Hollywood will never do that for you. Money will never do that for you. Good looks will never do that for you. Nothing else you have, popularity, whatever it is, won't do that for you. Only God can do that for you. And he wanted that for you since the moment he created you and even before. Let him be your potter. Let him mold you into the person he wants you to be. Jesus is giving you the same choice today. Always remember, you are who God says you are. No more, no less, no other. He has created you beautifully. He loves you as a person that he made. Follow him and become the light of the world. Pray with me. Father, I ask and pray that we would bring us to this point in our life where we realize we need a Savior. And while this rich young ruler had kept the law faithfully, he was still not perfect. He was a sinner like all of us. He'd messed up, made mistakes. He had lost his temper in his life or cheated someone or did something that dishonored you at some point. And your word tells us the result of our sin is death. And that's eternal separation from you. And that you don't want that for us. Didn't want it for him. Your word tells us also that we are a chosen people. Called by you. Chosen. Picked by you. Why you pick us, I don't know. It's just your character and your mercy. But we are loved by you. You say that we're wonderful. And you've chosen us. Now it's our turn to respond, right here, right now. And our decision today, as we get ready to walk out those doors, will dictate whether the answer was yes or no. Father, may we be willing to do what that 
young rich ruler was not willing to do. May we be willing to come to our Savior and say, you know what? I will forsake anything in my life. My money is no longer my priority. My greed, my anger, my bitterness, my looks, my friends, my house, or whatever is most important to me right now is nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as our Lord and you as our Father. Oh, Father, help us now. May your Spirit move in this room. As you're praying, no one's looking around, can I challenge you? Today is the day that God is telling you you're chosen by Him for His glory. And He chose you because He loves you, because He thinks you're wonderful. Now, there are things in your life that are not wonderful. The Bible calls that sin, and He wants to wipe that out today. He wants to cleanse you. White as snow. Whatever there is in your past, God will wipe it out. The Bible says he will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west and will remember them no more. I mean, God's going to forget about it. It's gone. It's done. Will you come to him today? Will you surrender to him? As he says to you, follow me. What will you do? Maybe God is calling you to give your life to Christ. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. That's all you have to do. Maybe it's you want to come and kneel and pray and thank God for loving you and finding you wonderful. Maybe your family or you want to join with this church because come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. If God is calling right now, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Don't miss it. As you pray, no one's looking around. Would everyone stand? As you stand and as you pray right now, you come.